2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, Henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This far we read God's word. 
Our text this morning is found in verse 17 of this chapter. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The Word of God that we have before us this morning clearly presents to you and to me who we are as believers and that as opposed to unbelievers that we find in this wicked world. In other words, this passage of God's Word points out our spiritual identity as opposed to the identity of the wicked around us. You see, the sinful world in modern times is beginning to identify themselves in various ways. We find that all around us, it seems, in our present society. We find that the rise of sexual impurity is leading unbelieving man and woman to redefine for themselves who they are. I am, for example, a homosexual. That is who I am. Or, I am a man or a woman who is trapped in a man's body. How is it that I can function in this world, in this body, if I am a woman? Somehow, this man's body has to be discarded because, well, I am a woman. So that one's sexual desires, you see, determines who they are. Self-identity. It's for that reason that the wicked world around you and me presses hard against us in an attempt for us to redefine together with them who we are. They would like to see us identify ourselves in unbelief and in sin as they do. And the wicked are in our face. They're in our face not only as we work and live in this present world, but the wicked world is in our face in its entertainment, especially in its games in its movies, in its commercials, and especially now, as many of us have discovered, social media. How long can God's children today withstand the criticisms that are leveled against those who would live wholly in our Lord Jesus Christ, a life of dedication to him? The world of unbelief presses upon us, their view of identifying self. And over against this pressure of our present world, we have a word of God. A word of God who very clearly defines who you and I are. Who am I? Who are you? If any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. Paul, you see, 
was really facing very much the same thing that we do in the society that he was living in at that time. This Corinthian church was filled with all kinds of difficulties and sins and problems. And part of that was because the church was found in a huge metropolitan city that was filled with the same immorality, the same unbelief that you and I confront today. The Greek culture and thinking had also become thoroughly absorbed with self and the satisfaction of one's base desires. There were even some in the church, Paul explains in this chapter, who glorified only in appearance rather than in the heart. The Spirit did not work in their hearts, and as a result, their identity was swallowed up in the thinking and in the desires of the world around them. In other words, they identified themselves in the way that the unbelieving world around them was identifying them. And they were walking in the sins of the world. So they lived unto themselves. Paul explains why this is true for you and me in the passage we have before us this morning. All things, he says, are past. Old things are passed away and all things have become new for the believer. And that's what we bear in mind as we consider who we are this morning, and that in connection with the Word of God here before us. What is our true spiritual identity? And that identity will determine how we live in this world. Consider with me the believer's true identity. The believer's true identity. In the first place, we want to consider a new identity. Secondly, a new life, and then finally, a new hope. Few people, even in the church, sad to say, spend time in introspection. That is, looking inside of themselves and examining themselves answering for themselves such questions as what do I live for in this world? Why am I here? What's the purpose of my life in this world? What motivates me to do what I do? What makes me happy in this life? All that has to do with self-awareness, you see, with who I am. And all that has to do with our identity. The modern era in which we find ourselves wants to blur that identity. For example, I have already received a questionnaire when I was sitting in the doctor's office. In the past, it would always ask me to identify my gender. Are you a male or are you a female? That's a part of my personal identity, of course. And when asked such a question, I can honestly say, I'm a male. I'm a male. Why do I say that? Well, because it's the way that God has created me. My anatomy is not the same as the anatomy of 
a female, I'm a male, but now I receive a questionnaire at the doctor's office that also has this category, other, male, female, or other. So that a person, I suppose, may now identify themselves in a way that stands outside of the creation order, in a way that fits their base desires in life. What I feel, that's who I am, you see. My point is, it is necessary for you and me in this messed up world to know who we are. Who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose in life? Those are questions, you see, that really we need to answer for ourselves. As a young person, we need to answer those questions for ourselves, not just float along with the way that the wicked world wants us to go. What's my answer? The first thing that ought to come to our mind when we are asked, who are you, is this. I'm a servant of my Lord Jesus Christ. That's who I am. That answer answers every important question for me in this life. What is my purpose in this life? To serve Jesus Christ. What makes me happy in this life? To serve Christ. What motivates me in life? What makes me think the way that I do or feel the way that I do? My service to Jesus Christ. And this is why the Apostle Paul in this salutation to many of the churches identified himself as the Apostle Paul, the servant, no, the slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the point of the apostle here in the passage that we have before us, too. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. But in order to come to this conclusion, you and I as God's children, as believers, must first consider the question, who were we? Who were we? Who was I? before my salvation? It's an important question that we ought to answer. David writes this of himself in Psalm 51. He acknowledges this before God. Verse 5. Behold, I was chapin in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. That's who I was according to my first birth. That same David describes the fallen human race for you and me in Psalm 14, 2 and 3. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. We were totally given over to sin, along with the human race. Our eyes were blinded at one time to the things of the kingdom of God. 
Our hearts were darkened by unbelief. That was true of you and me. We hated God. We see that hatred in the world around us. Well, that was true of you and me too before we became new creatures in Christ. And anything short of that description of ourselves, well, people of God, has a direct effect on who we know we are now. Who was I? When man fell into sin, he became a narcissist. And I know that's a word that's being bandied about all the time now, even in the wicked world around us. But it is the perfect word that describes man when he fell into sin. He became a narcissist. He became totally absorbed in himself. So that, well, I begin to believe that everything in this world centers in me and in my happiness and in my joy. Nothing else matters in this world. I'm the only one who is of importance. It is described for you and me in the words that are often repeated in the book of Judges when we find that the nation of Israel and people in it did what was right in their own eyes. That was the very temptation of Adam and Eve in paradise when Satan came to them and he said to them, God knows that if you eat of this tree, you'll be able to determine for yourself what's good and evil. They liked that. That's why they were tempted to fall into sin. They wanted to determine for themselves what was right in their own eyes. And they did not want their creator to determine that for them. Adam and Eve, you and I, all mankind, are creatures in God's hands. Our text uses that word this morning. And I emphasize the word creature because the word of God, of course, is very, very plain on that. We're creatures. There's only one creator. That's God himself who created the heavens and earth and everything that's in them. Who created man himself. The creator who stands before man and says to man, I, as your creator, will determine for you what is right and what is wrong. I, as creator, will determine for you the standard by which one will identify himself. Then man, as a creature, little creature, thinks that he has a right somehow to question that creator. Adam did it. Adam did it. And when he did, man ever since does what he wants to do and not what the Creator tells him that he must do. Man has become a narcissist. He's infatuated with himself. His thought process is given over to self. And he fulfills his own desires. And that's what identifies fallen man from a spiritual point of view. He fulfills his own desires. And when we look at all the immorality 
that abounds in our society today, it's because man is a narcissist. He thinks that's what's going to make him happy. Even if he has to give in to the basest of the desires of his flesh, if that makes him happy, he does it because that's who I am. There's no objective standard to which he conforms himself. There's no rule of morality. There's no rule of righteousness in his life. That, beloved saints, is who we were. We were without Christ. And we were alienated from God. We rolled around in the mire of our sin just as a pig enjoys the mud. And we enjoy every minute of it too. But in Christ, in Christ, we have a new identity. We are new creatures. Our old identity has passed away and we, by God, are recreated now after the image of his own Son. The light of salvation has shined in our hearts. Sometimes, sometimes I think we can become so complacent that we don't realize what God has done for you and me in our lives. Show the light of salvation in us, and he has given to you and to me a new identity. We are a new creation in Christ. That's who you and I are. And that's true of us because of a wonder work of God's grace. It was not something that we earned. It was not something that we deserved. We were enemies of God. We did not seek him out. He sought us out in the darkness of our unbelief. How did God give us a new self, a new identity? We who were dead in sins and trespasses, God has in Christ quickened, made us alive. And he has done that through the wonder work of the cross. Jesus Christ went to the cross and our sins and our trespasses were placed upon his shoulders he bore the wrath of God for our sins, delivered us from it. God views us as righteous. But then that same Jesus Christ, through that work on the cross, powerfully cleanses God's people from their sins. Once having delivered us from the guilt of our sin, Christ delivered us as well from the power of sin on us when he died on the cross. He conquered there sin and Satan so that sin and Satan no longer have any kind of dominion over you and me. No reign over the child of God. And then, by God's grace, each of us has been efficaciously called by the Spirit of Jesus Christ that he sends forth now to dwell in our hearts. And he renews us there, heart soul, mind, and strength. Our whole being has been renewed through Jesus Christ. And now that risen Lord lives and reigns in you and me, 
by his spirit. We who were wholly given over to sin and are now become the servants of Christ. We confess it too, don't we? We confess it. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his blood has purchased me. Then the question arises. Is this now who you are? Is this who I am? When asked the question, who are you? Would your answer unashamedly be to those who might ask that question? I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. For me to live and die happily, I have come to know my sin. And I have come to know my deliverance in the blood of my Lord Jesus Christ. And he is life to me. I ask this question at this point this morning because what Paul writes in the passage we consider is... Well, it's quite exclusive, you know. Notice who are new creatures, according to the word of God before us. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. In other words, it's not my attachment to the church. It's not my attachment to family and to friends. That makes me a new creature. That's not what makes me a new creature. That I'm sitting among a bunch of friends and family here. There are many in the church that will reason exactly that way. But God's word specifically points out that we must be in Christ. And that little preposition, in there, in Christ, that that. That speaks volumes. It really does. To be in Christ means that we are united with Jesus Christ. That we have become one with him. That we are not on the outside looking in, but that we have become a very part of Jesus Christ himself. That we're united to him by a true and a living faith. That's what makes a, a, a person a new creature after all. We're, we're grafted into Jesus Christ by a true and living faith, a gift of God to you and to me. He grafts us into Jesus Christ so that we become one living organism with Christ. That's what makes a person a new creature, after all. That means, of course, that God performs a powerful work in us by binding us together with Jesus Christ. He binds us by means of that faith. He takes us whose identity was loathed and, and he makes us one with our Savior. And then, of course, makes us aware of the fact that we are one with our Savior too. That's our self-awareness. 
I'm aware of the fact that I belong to Jesus Christ because I'm one with him. He's given me a certain knowledge. It's faith, certain knowledge. That is a heartfelt knowledge, a knowledge that gives an inner peace. Faith is a hearty confidence, a conviction, a persuasion that causes a believer now to look to the cross in all of the various circumstances of his or her life. And that's what it means to be in Christ. A self-awareness of who I am in Christ. I have been radically changed in my identity. That is who I am. So now Christ becomes the purpose of my life in this world. And his service becomes my goal in life. My joy is found in him. Can you say that? Here's the test of whether you have that self-awareness. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. My old life has passed away. It's gone. And that term passed away, well, that means to loosen or to dissolve. That old life of sin and unbelief, it's been loosed, or I've been loosed from that former life. Christ has cut the bands that held me in sway to sin. That life has been dissolved when we, through salvation, were grafted into Jesus Christ. That life in which sin reigned in us became old to us, archaic. That's what that word old means here. It became archaic, meaning that it was no longer desirable. It's no longer desirable to one who is in Christ. It has become antiquated. It, it has no worth except to be cast away from me. That's an old life. What used to be of value to us when our old identity was of a damn worthy sinner is of no value to our new identity anymore. Our attitude has changed. I hate sin. We'll talk about that in a moment, too. I hate sin in me. I hate it. I love Christ. I love God. I love his commandments. I know I fail miserably, but I want to walk in God's commandments. I've got a new life in me, you see? My world doesn't center in me anymore. My world doesn't center in what I want. It doesn't center in my own desires. I don't go out and do what seems right in my own eyes anymore. I don't want to. I want to walk in the way that my Creator says that I should walk now. And all of that, all of that really translates into particulars in the life of the child of God. We, we, we need to become very particular. Second or 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. 
Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. None of these will accept the kingdom of God, or will enter the kingdom of God. And then this, and such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Such were some of you. That was true of our lives in the past, you know. Those things characterized us. That, that, that's what characterizes that, that old creation. Now, I suppose something ought to be made clear at this point. When you preach the word of God like this, and you read a passage of that sort, such as in 1 Corinthians 6, on a mission field, and you'll have people that have been brought to, been brought to faith and repentance later on in life, and they're going to say, wow, how true that is. That was my life in the past. How thankful I am that I've been delivered from that. It's a little different with you and me, at least most of us sitting here tonight, or this morning. We would be more apt to say, My, I never really walked in those sins. I wasn't delivered from that. And it's true, God has protected us in our lives and in the church from many of those sins that Paul mentions there in 1 Corinthians 6. And for that we can be thankful. But let it never be said by you and me that there was never a time in our lives that we were not old creatures given over to sin. Just because we cannot point to that time in our life when we were regenerated, we ought never to forget from what you and I have been delivered by the grace of God. Even if we never walked openly and unrepentantly in those sins that are mentioned there, there was a time in our lives that we were without God. When we were born of our first parents, David says, I was born and conceived in sin and unbelief, and I have to be born again. You and I were born again. Maybe we don't remember when. Maybe that was in infancy. But we were born again. We who were lost in these things have now been born again in our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been given a new identity in Christ and through the work that he has performed for us. Now there's a couple of hard realities, of course, that confront us in all of this. One of those realities is that they are not all Israel that are of Israel. That's true of the church too. There are those in the church that can be characterized by these sins. 
And they're kept secret, usually, at least for maybe a long period of time. They're kept secret because, after all, if they weren't kept secret, they probably would be disciplined, or they would be disciplined for that. Fornicators, adulterers, effeminate abusers, drunkards. There are revilers in the church. That is, those who verbally abuse others with loud and abrasive language. There are those who delight in those kinds of sins that they find out there in the world. They delight in. There are those in the church that oftentimes are characterized by these things. And they are because they do not have that spiritual identity that a believer has. And then the other hard reality, every one of us as believers has an old man of sin in us. And we are capable of falling into the deep way of sin ourselves and not being characterized by that new life. We lose that identity. We lose the awareness of who we are. And we begin to walk in the ways of the world, you see. That's another hard reality. We may not lose. We may not lose our spiritual identity, people of God. We must know who we are, and we must live as those who are new creatures. We are the servants of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a new, and we have a joyful, a joyful life in Christ. What three things the Catechism asks us are true of you and me to live and die happily. I know my sin and my misery. I know my deliverance in my Lord Jesus Christ, and I lead a life of gratitude before him. Oh, I know my sin, and I know my misery. I know that the things of this present world are so appealing to my sinful flesh. And even though I might not walk in them, boy, I sure can enjoy them in my entertainment. Because they're so appealing to my sinful flesh. I know my sin. But I bring my sins before my Savior. And I also know that I receive the forgiveness of sin only in the blood of my Lord Jesus Christ who has redeemed me. And in the midst of all of my struggles and in the midst of all of the temptations that surround me in this world, I can flee to the cross of Christ because there I find the strength, of course, to fight against sin. But if for a moment I lose my self-identity, who we are in Christ, I can so easily fall into the sins of this present world. And don't think that you can't. Because he who thinks he stands, take heed because you're going to fall. But we must also understand that to be happy means we know of our deliverance in Christ Jesus. We know what he has done for us. And we bask in the knowledge of our salvation. And that makes us happy. 
And the knowledge that our sins are forgiven us in the blood of Christ, that makes us happy. And in turn, that makes us live a life of gratitude before God. We walk in the way of God's precepts, seeking to please God and our Savior, and not of ourselves. Because, you see, old things have passed away, and all things have become new for you and me. This all means that our life is made new and goes in a different direction than that of the world. We don't walk like this. It's a little bit behind them. They go that way. We go this way. Young people. Oftentimes, when confronted with temptation by others, and quite often by others in the church itself, then we say to ourselves and to our parents, well, what's wrong with it? What's wrong with doing so-and-so does it? Well, what's, what's wrong with me doing it too? Parents, of course, when they give answer to their children, reason with them, out of scriptures and that's a good thing well you don't we don't do this because of this or that or the next thing the, the, the Bible implies that that this is not the way that we ought to walk well really we can complicate the answer that we give to our young people young people let's not need a long complicated answer the answer is another question when you say what's wrong with this, then the answer is this. Who are you? What's your spiritual identity? Are you a servant of Jesus Christ who in your life is not out to, 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 to please yourself, but is out to please your Lord and your Savior? Then we find an answer, do we not? There, there's the answer. May I hang out with an unbeliever and make unbelievers my companions and my friends? Yes, God's word has different things to say about that, but the answer is this. Who are you? What's your identity? What fellowship does light have with darkness? What friendship is there between one who is still an old creature and one who is a new creature in Jesus Christ. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Well, what's wrong with watching so many of those wicked movies that are so prevalent today that I can even reach into my pocket and watch them if I want to? What's What's wrong with watching them or listening to the ungodly music of today? Now, we go through as parents all kinds of reasoning and point this out to our children. Well, it's because of this and this and this. But, but here's the answer. Who are you? What, what, what's your spiritual identity? That's not very complicated, you see. Why would I who have been cleansed now in the blood of my Lord Jesus Christ, who have become a servant of Christ by God's grace, 
alone, why would I want to go and dig in the trash cans of the wicked world to find my entertainment in life? Who am I? Do I really have to go to church on Sunday? The Bible has a lot to say about that. Of course we do. But here's the question. Who am I? Does Jesus Christ live in my heart? This, this is where I want to be. There's nothing more delightful for me as a, a believer, as a child of God, than to worship together with my fellow saints. Sing together. Bow beneath the preaching. What is my identity? That's going to determine how I live in this world. You, you see what I'm talking about? You understand that? What, what the Word of God is really teaching you and me here? Now we find that we fall pretty short, far short, don't we? There is an incentive for us in our self-awareness. And our text really gives that to you and to me too, but it may not be evident when simply reading it. The Word of God here gives to us the hope of every believer. And it does so when Paul writes of the believer as being a new creation. New creation. That's who we are. New creatures. Really, new creation. And if we were to examine this concept of a new creation just a little deeper, we would soon discover that having been shaped and molded by God's grace in the image of Jesus Christ, there is also a new creation that's waiting for you and me in a new heavens and in a new earth. We learn in Revelation 21 that all the former things then are going to pass away. The sin that so easily besets you and me here, the temptations that the world is constantly casting in front of us. It's all going to disappear. It's all going to go away. And there'll be no more sin. Our true identity as God's people will be able to shine at that time. And won't be marred by that flesh that we still have within us today. There will be no more sin. Nothing more to disturb our peace as God's children. And we will find that our true purpose in this life, our true striving in this life, our true joy, it'll all finally be fulfilled in that new creation. All things will indeed be made new at that time. And we will dwell in Christ. We will dwell in Jesus Christ perfectly, world without end. And we'll bask in the joy of that new heavens and that new earth. A, a perfect place for new creatures such as you and I. That's the joy. That's the expectation. That's what we hope for. Given our new identity, that's what we hope for. That's what we long for in this life. That gives us incentive.
the hope that dwells in us. As new creatures in Christ, we long for and we wait for that new creation and we live for that home that awaits us now in heavenly glory, the place of our desires after all. Who are you? Has the old life passed away? Has life become new for you? Are we in faith bound to Jesus Christ? Then we as servants of Jesus Christ in this world have our hope in heaven. Amen. Father in heaven, we come before thee to thank thee for thy word. Word that speaks to us of our life in the midst of this world. We are sinners. We're thankful, Father, for the forgiveness of our sins that we receive only in the blood of Jesus Christ. But, Father, may we live that new and holy life before thee. Go with us now in this morning and in this day. Bring us back again at the appointed time tonight. We pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.